Good evening my creepy beings, tonight I have a collection of 4 scary stories. Let me know if you would like something like this once a month or so. I'll leave timestamps for each story in the pinned comment below in case you have heard of any of these before. And if you enjoy and are new to the channel, please be sure to hit that like button and subscribe, it would mean the world as we're closing in on 2000. Anyway, without further ado, let's begin. I work in security at Disney World, the happiest place on earth. Typically, I wouldn't say where I work as obviously there are some pretty strict rules about things employees can put online, but I just don't think I can tell this properly without that context. And honestly, I think this may be it for me anyway with this job. I just can't see myself working here any longer now. I've been with the company for 23 years. The first 20 years I worked in the parks, nabbling shoplifters and rounding up people who were drinking too much for the heat. Occasionally there'd be a fight to break up, but people usually kept it pretty mild. The heat and walking was getting too much for me the last few years, so I asked to be transferred somewhere with AC, and the company moved me to one of their resorts. Well, the working conditions were 110% better as far as climate and comfort go, the guest issues were trickier, mainly domestics. I guess the expensive and stress of vacation got to a lot of people and I'd be called by neighbouring rooms because some mum and dad were yelling at each other. I'd try to suggest they take a nap or go do separate activities for a bit and that would usually calm them down. But none of that is what I'm here for. I've got to get this out while I have time. Three days ago, I got a call from management. Apparently, a couple of days before that, housekeeping had went into a room that shouldn't have been turned over that day. Turned over is when one guest leaves by about 11am and the next guest checks in around 3. And all of the guests' items were still in the room. Housekeeping made a note of it and moved on. But during the next two days when they entered the room, Everything was still there and untouched. I went to check it out and sure enough, there was an empty room full of luggage, clothes, snacks and some toys. Everything a family would need for a vacation. The manager had already looked up the previous reservation and it was for a family. A dad, a mum and two little kids. I tried to call the phone number they had given but all I got was a voicemail. We were a bit stumped, so I made the call that housekeepers could clean the room and take the family's personal items to be held until we got in contact with someone. I went digging into the reservation more. The family had arrived five days before housekeeping discovered all of their stuff. I found that the family had paid a parking fee and their vehicle description was listed. A quick walk off the parking lot and I had easily located their vehicle so that ruled out a car accident or them deciding to just leave all of their stuff behind. Next, I saw that they had bought a dining plan. This was when a guest prepays for all their food. They were given a certain amount of credits to use for meals. This family had only used three credits and the last one was two days after they checked in. It appeared that the day they arrived, they got here late and probably just stayed on the resort. The next day they used two credits at Epoch, 
The second park day they used just one credit at Magic Kingdom and it was at breakfast time. Now at Disney we have something called magic bands. Magic bands are worn by the guests and act as a room key, park ticket, credit card, dining reservation payment and fast pass, which is a system used to bypass lines. It took some work but I was finally able to look up the family's fast pass history. The day they went to Magic Kingdom, they had breakfast at a restaurant in a park, rode a couple of rides and then rode their last ride. It's a small world around 11am, then nothing. Finally, it was time to bring in someone else on this. I called an old co-worker at Magic Kingdom and asked him to pull security footage for its a small world at the time they rode it and I made my way over there. When I got there, my friend was very confused almost distraught looking. He showed me what he had found. There's usually a camera in the direction of where the rides load and unload. The footage showed them scanning their bands to use fast passes for the ride and boarding the ride. The footage from the exit on the ride just showed the other people in their car exiting. But they weren't there. Of course we thought the worst. Maybe one of the kids had fallen out and mum and dad and other kid got off in the middle of the ride to hell and they all got injured or killed or stuck in machinery or something. So we shot down the ride, middle of the damn day. Turned off the earworm music and turned up the lights. Me and my buddy walked that ride three times before we called in help. Eventually, there was close to ten cast members searching and we didn't find anything. Except for three cell phones and a hat. I was stumped. I've kept digging the past couple of days and I'm not sure who to tell what I found next. I've called the police and I suppose they're on the way, but the company has a way of covering up things like this and I decided I can't live with myself if I don't put out some type of warning. I kept digging into their reservation over the last couple of days and today I noticed they had purchased Memory Maker. There are photographers all over the parks and cameras in a lot of rides and with Memory Maker, the photos are all free. They automatically get added to a guest Disney account when the system knows their picture has been taken. And the system always knows. Everyone's whereabouts are always known with the magic bands. Well, I opened up their Memory Maker photo album and I swear, there's 732 pictures. The first well, I opened up their Memory Maker photo album and I swear, the first 30 or so are pretty normal. Epcot, a few rides in front of the castle, but the rest, the rest are all and it's a small world. The rides only take one picture per go round, so it appears as though this family had ridden the ride over 700 times. The first picture was pretty normal. Everyone looked happy, it was a busy day and a full car of guests. The next one is rough to look at. The car is empty except for this little family and it looks so darn confused. The next 10 to 15, I can see dad getting angry, yelling. Mum is holding onto these two kids like her life depends on it and you can see the kids getting increasingly upset, crying. And it goes on and on and on. After 50 or so, it looks like they're trying to get out. It's one the dad is missing, and another they're all gone. Maybe like they've bailed early in the ride and tried to walk out. 
but in the very next one, they're all right back in that damn car. After around 450 or so, I only see the mum and kids. It's just when I look closely, I can see dad. Maybe just his body now. Slumped down in one of the other seats. Since about 675, there's just mum and one kid. Another body and another seat. The mum and kids aren't moving anymore. I think them two are still alive, just damn near catatonic. Looking straight ahead, pale. And y'all, I swear on my life, the dolls are moving or something. In some of these pictures, I can tell they aren't where they should be. I even saw one with a doll in the car with this family. I can't look anymore or I'm going to lose my lunch. I closed the album, its file size has increased since I closed it. God, are there new pictures being added? I see on security cameras that the local PD just arrived so they'll take over soon. I wish I knew what was going on, but I also wish this damn thing had never landed in my lap. I don't think I'll be able to update this. After I talk to the police, I think I'm going to walk out of here and never come back. I just wanted to get this out there before Disney feeds the media some cover-up as to why the family vanished. They didn't vanish. I know where they are. My neighbour is one of those wannabe YouTube personalities. Over the years, I've seen him cough out cinnamon, lay flat on the hood of his car as it slowly creeps down the driveway, and douse himself in lukewarm water, all the while screaming epic win, epic fail, or epic maintenance of the status quo, for all I know. It can get tiring to watch him go about his shenanigans in the pursuit of viral fame. So when he knocked my door the other day, told me he was going away for a few weeks and asked that I get his mail, honestly, it was a relief. I can't explain the peace of mind I had knowing I didn't have to brace myself for another of his stupidity for a while. I was always afraid his stunts would wind up bleeding over into my life. Things were pretty normal for the first couple of days. He received a few bills, a bit of spam, and what I could only assume was a birthday card. Then one evening, I got home to find a cardboard box waiting on his front porch. In big red letters was written, Return to Sender. I'm no small fry, but I admit I had trouble lifting the box on my own. It was really heavy. Lugging it across the road to my house was even harder, and I quickly realised there was no way I was going to drag it up the stairs and through my front door. So I decided to leave his package in my garage. It wasn't like I kept my car in there. The garage door was a piece of rubbish anyway that refused to open without a good thug and a whack. It was less trouble just leaving the car in the driveway than it was to fight with the garage door every morning and night. In hindsight, I should have set the package down while I struggled to open the tricky door. But you know how it is when you've got a good grip of something. No point in setting it down if you don't have to. It was as I kicked the door for a third time that I lost my grip on the package, and it fell to the ground. I heard a light crack inside. Shit, I cursed. I hope I hadn't broken anything important but I figured I just wouldn't tell my neighbour about it and let him assume the break happened en route. Hands free, I finally managed to get the garage door unstuck. And boy, did it screech in protest as it rolled up and over me. 
I dragged the box the rest of the way, setting it in a corner for whenever my neighbour would come back to claim it. And then I forgot all about it. Until a few days passed, that is. I am not sure exactly how long it took for the smell to waft from the crack under the garage door to my house, but it came in in a slow progression. It was a sticky sweet odour, similar to a skunk, and for the first few days after I smelled it, I genuinely assumed that that's exactly what it was, roadkill that had left its mark on my house. It was only when I realised the scent was growing more intense instead of fading that I went looking for a source. That's when I opened the garage door, and that's when the odour knocked me back, holding my nose. The culprit wasn't hard to identify. The only change in my garage was the box in the corner. I remember thinking it must have been one of those meat-of-the-month subscription boxes. The meat must have gone rancid from being left out of the fridge for so long. How much meat could have been in there for a box to have been so large and heavy? An entire cow, perhaps. I covered my nose as I approached the box, a pair of scissors in my hands. I probably wouldn't have needed them to open it, as it had become soggy enough at the bottom to poke through with a finger. But it wasn't about to poke my finger into spoiled meat juices. That soggy bottom was the reason I had to open the box in the first place. If I tried to drag it out whole, everything would spill onto the floor. I was going to have to dump the pieces of meat one garbage bag at a time, and take them down to the dumpsters, a process I was not looking forward to. My scissors tore through the tape along the top of the cardboard box. I thought the smell wouldn't get any worse, but as I flipped the flaps open, I discovered a whole new garment of stink. It was like opening a burning oven, but instead of a heat wave, I was met with waves of pee, sweat and feces. It was so bad that I staggered back and had to force down a puke, begging to guzzle out of me. I don't think I could have handled the scent mingling with the horrors coming out of the box. I'm not ashamed to admit I ran out of the door for a breath of fresh air, but in the short time I'd spent in the garage, the smell had become so ingrained in the fabric of my clothes that I clung to me like a shadow. Nothing I tried could keep the smell out of my nostrils. Not air fresheners, not a face mask, not three showers and a change of clothes. Every second that box lay open in my garage was another second the smell was allowed to foothold in my home. I had to bite the bullet, so I returned to the garage, the flaps of the box still open as though inviting me back to look. I was prepared, a clothespin pinning my nostrils shut, a garbage bag in one hand, the strongest cleaner I could find in the other, and long rubber gloves to keep my skin from having to touch what was inside. But as it turns out, I needed none of those things. What was inside? I wouldn't have to touch or clean the contents of that box. I would only have to suffer the nightmare every night. You see, there was meat in that box, but it didn't come from a cow or a pig. Oh no, no, no. It was worse than that. It was my neighbour. Dead. Still in one piece, but very much dead. I called the cops and naturally they took me in for interrogation. It's kind of hard not to suspect the man with a corpse in the garage, after all. Thankfully, they soon realised I wasn't involved. My DNA might have been all over that box, the smell might have left a mark throughout my house, 
but there was one piece of irrefutable evidence in my neighbor's own hands that provided my innocence. A vlogging camera. They showed me the footage only once. I'm not sure if they were allowed to, or if they felt so bad for me they figured it couldn't hurt. Either way, I saw it. My neighbour was sitting in the box outside of a shipping facility, laughing as he told the world how he was going to mail himself across state lines. He brought pee bottles, food, a pillow and a few flashlights. His friend, a guy I'd seen at his place several times to help with his stunts, closed the lid and presumably dropped him off for shipment. Throughout the next couple of hours or days, I'm honestly not sure, my neighbour recorded a few short clips about his progress. I think I'm in a truck now, I can feel it moving. Must be in a warehouse, pretty warm here. Still got plenty of food though. You know, that kind of stuff. And then on the last entry, the box toppled over. He broke his neck and that was it. The camera recorded until either the memory card got too full or the battery died. There's one thing I didn't tell the police after they showed me the video. One thing I heard in the footage that will haunt me to the day I die. Just after the tumble that broke his neck, I heard a familiar screeching sound of my garage door. One of my least favourite parts about being a middle school teacher is the not-so-incredible living history assignment we give at the end of every school year. Kids are supposed to sit with their grandparents and videotape, voice record or transcribe their oldest memories for posterity and for an easy way to bring up their GPA. I have been doing this for 17 years and when I collected the projects this time around, I assumed they would be as dull if not duller than usual. This had not been a particularly bright class. So I went home, poured myself a glass of wine and prepared for a long night of I only owned two pairs of pants when I was your age and my brother got beat with a newspaper for hitting a baseball into our neighbour's yard and of course these projects were prepared with innocent old person comments that were so horribly sexist and racist that you just had to laugh. Now I had a girl in my class whom I will call Olivia. She was pudgy quiet and proved herself consistent B student. I expected her project to be as unremarkable as her, and perhaps that's why I was so profoundly disturbed by what I witnessed that night. Olivia had submitted two discs for some reason, so I began with the one marked interview. My screen hiccuped twice before a grainy image of a living room came into view. The place was a hoarder's hell. Olivia was curled up in an armchair, clutching a notebook and looking like a scared animal. Across from her sat a man with sombre countenance, smoking a cigarette and staring at her expectantly. Go ahead, a woman's voice whispered from behind the camera. Olivia's owlish eyes flashed towards the screen, then back to the man. I'm here with great uncle Stephen, she began almost inaudibly. He is going to tell us about his oldest memories from being in the army. Great Uncle Stephen looked like he'd rather be in a goddamn trench at the moment, but he waited patiently for the questions to begin. Not surprisingly, Olivia read verbatim from the suggested question sheet I had handed out to students. He answered her curtly. Once or twice I heard her mother whisper, Speak up, Olivia, from behind the camera. 
typical boring stuff. So I was intrigued when Olivia sat down the notebook and asked, Did you like being in the army? That was totally off script. Great Uncle Stephen emitted a chain smoker's wheeze. Nope, glad to get out of my town though. Where did you go? Balkans. Uh huh, she said. I doubted she knew where the Balkans were, and my suspicion was confirmed when she asked. Was the Balkis very different from here? Yes. Mum cleared her throat from behind the camera, perhaps encouraging Great Uncle Stephen to be a little more forthcoming. But Olivia seemed genuinely interested. Uncle Stephen, she asked, what is your very worst memory from the army? The old man crushed his cigarette in the ashtray and then slowly lifted himself out of the chair. I'll be back, he mumbled. The camera cut off. When the screen flashed back on, everything was the same, except Great Uncle Stephen had several pieces of paper and plastic sleeves laid atop of all the crap sitting on his coffee table. One he held in his hand. I was a kid when I enlisted, he said, looking at Olivia. Your brother's age, he told her. Olivia nodded. I never saw combat. Both of my deployments were to cities in Eastern Europe that had been destroyed by civil wars. Everything was a mess. I felt like a janitor for a <coughs> Mum coughed. Great Uncle Stephen sighed and looked at his paper. My unit was assigned to a school that had been obliterated by all the violence. Broken windows, caved in rooms, and for some reason, the part that got to me the most was the school had been like this for years before we got there. No one had lifted a finger to fix it. I saw kids walk by it on their way to go beg for money or whatever shift they did. The camera dipped to the floor as I heard Mum whisper harshly at Great Uncle Stephen. I couldn't make out what she was saying, but it wasn't hard to imagine. Do you want to hear the goddamn story or not? I heard him bark in response. Then you better let me tell it how I want. Mum, Olivia chimed, please stop interrupting. Are you presenting this in front of your class? No, Mum, we are just handing it in to our teacher. I'm sure he's heard the word shit before, Great Uncle Stephen contributed helpfully. It wasn't a he as a matter of fact, but other than that, the statement was accurate. The camera was lifted and after a couple of blurry focus adjustments, the shot was the same as before. Ah, I'm talking too much anyway, he grumbled. He lifted the piece of paper in his hand close to his face. In the basement I found this letter. I don't know what it said but I had a buddy of mine translate it, so I'm going to read it now. And then I'll tell you what I saw in the basement. A chill ran down my spine. Mum zoomed in to Great Uncle Stephen and his letter. His palsied hands trembled as he held up the paper. And this is what it read. Dear Sir, I never loved my country. So many of these skirmishes are born from patriotism, a power struggle for the shards of a once great empire. But I do not care what name my home has on the map. This fighting is senseless, and I stay as far away from it as I can. It was not these attacks or disorganised violence that took the lives of my wife and child. It was illness. Mercifully, it happened quickly for the baby. Nadja suffered for longer. 
I watched in horror knowing I could do nothing for them. My only solace is that I was there for them every step of the way. I stopped going to work one day and no one came after me. I doubt they noticed I was gone since the school was simply across a field. Visible from my window, it would have been easy to go for a few hours each day and come back quickly to care for them. But what was the point? All I did was clean floors. I was as useless to the world as I was to my family. I tried to take Nadja to the hospital, but the journey was too long and taxing. I brought her home and she died that night. After Nadja and the baby were gone, well, I don't remember much. I didn't leave my hovel, barely ate and slept. Thought many times of taking my own life. Tempting though it was, I felt paralysed by my own helplessness. The one thing that kept me sane was my radio. I never turned it off once. Even though I didn't listen to the words being said, in fact, the channel I got the clearest was in English, I think. Which I didn't speak a lick of, but the voices, the music and the true knowledge that life existed beyond this violent city sustained me. I have no idea how long passed before I saw the light of day again. I was dizzy from hunger, so finding food was my priority. My radio came with me of course. Since I first hold myself up, it has gone everywhere with me. It talks to me as I sleep and as I wake. I don't know what it's saying, but I know I would die without it. Once I had some water and food, it occurred to me that the only thing left to do was to go back to work. So I did. The following morning, I simply returned to the school where I was a janitor and got back to work. Nobody made a big deal out of it. Like I said, Nadja has been sick for a long time and those who worked at the school knew that. I appreciate that no one had pestered me to come back to work during the hardest days of my life. The teachers never said much to me, but we smiled at each other in the halls and the mutual respect was perhaps the reason I decided to come back at all. The place had gone to the dogs without me, so I simply grabbed my broom and rags from my closet and set to cleaning. Everyone is grateful to have me back, I know, and the best part is that nobody minds the radio. I bring it with me everywhere and keep the volume low enough not to disrupt the students. No one has ever complained. In fact, I suspect they like it. The schoolhouse is not very big, but does require a lot of maintenance. The floors are always sticky and stained, so I spend most of my time mopping. Kids make messes, I guess that's why I'm still in business. Sometimes I have to move things around to make sure I get every spot on the floor beautiful and clean, but I take pride in that. And the repairs, well, the school always needs tune-ups here and there, and I am happy to help. Some days I am reconstructing a desk that broke as I whistle along with the radio. Other times I handle more serious structural issues. Days when I have work like this, I feel truly instrumental, like a cog in a larger machine. How could the school survive without me? It took me a long time, but I once again feel like I have purpose. There is a larder behind the school that is full of preserved food. In lieu of payment, I am allowed to take as much food as I need. The arrangement is fine, what would I do with money anyway? I used to bring the food back to my home, just one field away from the school, but when I started sleeping in the basement, no one seemed to notice. This school is special to me and I cannot leave it unguarded. 
when I am besieged with memories of my wife and baby, I turn up the volume on the radio to drown out such thoughts. It works for me every time. Except this morning. Because this morning I woke up to dead silence. I frantically examined the radio to see what had happened. I honestly cannot tell you how many days in a row I had been using it. Did it simply live out its life and die naturally? I have spent the entire day trying to fix it. Most of the time, I have been crying. I am losing my mind without it. I have given myself until sundown. If I cannot fix it by then, I am going to take my life. I am writing this because the sunlight is starting to die and I know what my fate shall be. I have thought about taking one last walk through the halls of my school, saying goodbye to the students and teachers. I know I will be missed, but I cannot bring myself to leave this room. I cannot go anywhere knowing that my radio is dead in here. There are no more tears in me. It feels now like I can't catch my breath. I vomited what little food I had in my stomach and I am growing dizzy again, like I did after Nadja died. I am not long for this world, but before I take my life, I have closed the door to the room and stuck a chair beneath the handle. It is the only room in the basement and has a small casement that lets in just enough light for me to see what I am doing. If anyone is kind enough to come looking for me, they should not be met with this gruesome sight. Perhaps they will see the door is blocked, smell rotting body and simply forget I ever existed. But I have placed both my radio and note outside the door. Kind sir, if you are reading this, I have one humble request. Please fix it. Save my radio. I did not deserve to die in its sleep and I am ashamed that I cannot revive it. Now I am ready to join Nadja and little Ludmila in heaven. We hope this school can find another janitor who loves and cares for it the way I did. Hour is now. Do not forget my radio. Stanislav When mum zoomed back out, Olivia had tears in her eyes. Thank you for sharing, Uncle Stephen, mum said, her voice choked. I think we've had enough. Wait, Olivia chirped. He said there's more. What did you find? Before great uncle Stephen could open his mouth, the image disappeared. My jaw dropped. Was that it? What did great uncle Stephen see? I promptly remembered there was a second disc. This one was unmarked, but I hoped it contained the rest of the interview. There was no video, only audio. The voice that started up was Olivia's. Hi, Miss Gerity. I'm sorry about my mum but she's refused to record the rest of what my uncle was saying. But I asked him to continue and secretly recorded the story as a voice memo on my phone. I remember you said earlier this year that history is written by the people who win wars. She sucked in a breath and commenced crying. But everyone's history is important, even if they are sad, pathetic people and even if they never won a single thing in their life. I haven't slept though the night since I finished this project but you have to hear what my uncle has to say. There were tears in my eyes too. The sincerity of her words were beautiful. I was always flattered that she remembered some trite phrase I threw around because it was what my history teacher said to me. Before I got too sappy over it, the audio began again. Fine, came mum's frustrated voice. If you want to hear the rest of the story, fine, but this is not appropriate for a school project. 
Let me finish, great uncle Stephen snapped. If it's too much for you, help yourself to a snack in the kitchen. But Olivia wants to know what's happened. I heard her mother mumble something and walk away. Olivia and her uncle were alone. I imagined her looking at him expectantly. So did you find the radio, or did it get ruined when the school got blown up? He rasped and I heard the distinctive click of a lighter. That lighter, he began slowly, has a date on it. What date, she inquired hungrily. It was dated two weeks before we started rebuilding the school. Didn't you say the school has been destroyed like two years ago? Yes, replied Great Uncle Stephen. It had been. There was silence as I felt goosebumps in my arms. The images that came to my mind were almost too overwhelming to express, but Great Uncle Stephen put them into words effortlessly. Clearly he has spent his whole life thinking about it. This man, this Stanislav, went to a vandalised, falling apart schoolhouse and cleaned up blood and rubble like it was spilled drinks and dust. He smelled at dead bodies in the hallway and believed they were smelling back at him because he liked his radio. He moved around corpses so he could sweep the ground under them. The roof was half collapsed so when it rained he must have gotten soaking wet but was so oblivious that he didn't even feel a thing. I could hear Olivia crying steadily. I found the larder she was talking about. It was all pickled, preserved food that probably tasted like rubbish. Most of the stuff was mouldy. Did... did you see the dead body? Yes, hanging from the ceiling, but still amazingly lifelike. He wasn't rotting away, this hadn't happened years ago. Did he look peaceful? she asked, a chord of desperation in her voice. Couldn't tell you. The smell was rank and his face was blue and his eyes were bulging, like this. I imagined him demonstrating. And the radio, Olivia wept. I heard great uncle Stephen take a long drag of his cigarette. It was there all right. And it was still on. Nobody knows what rock bottom truly is until they've hit it. Being abruptly fired from a job you've worked at for the past ten years, and then catching your girl cheating on you with your replacement really makes a man think. Hell, my student loans aren't even paid off yet. What a life this is. After a rather boozy night that consisted of sending out about four dozen resumes and horrendously written cover letters, I passed out. When I woke up the next morning, I decided to at least try and make some money at home while waiting for an interview. At that moment, I thought that the best way to go about it was completing those internet surveys that yielded about $5 subway gift cards and other rubbish that, after about an hour of answering questions, I mean, I didn't have any other marketable skills that could have yielded immediate income. It was either that or wasting the day away playing computer games. At least I wouldn't have to pay for food. I did these surveys for about five hours before nearly passing out. It was way more excruciating than I had originally anticipated. At the end of those five hours, I had accumulated about $45 in cash and gift cards. Nine dollars an hour, not like I was making much more than that before. I was about to close my laptop up for the day and head to a bar in an attempt to drown out my melancholy when I first saw it. It shouldn't even have been noticeable, but for one reason or another, 
it was. At the bottom corner of the website that I was on existed a tiny, singular advertisement. Maybe it was the simplicity that got me. Plain black letters and a tacky font that read, Surveys for Cash, overlapped completely white background. At least they were direct with the message. One more couldn't hurt, I thought. Might as well scrape together a little more booze money before heading out. I sat back down, clicked on the picture link and prepared myself to grind through some more painstaking inquiries. The first few questions were simple enough. I guess they weren't really questions but more data collection. My name, age, occupation. I thought it was kind of weird that they also asked my height and weight, but it wasn't unheard of. The first real question was a different story though. I must have stared at it, eyes wide and mouth agape, for God knows how long. What the actual hell, in plain English, this is what popped up on my screen. How strong is your urge to currently look behind you? There were five options below, ranging from not at all to overwhelming. There was no feasible reason why I should have been afraid at that moment, but I was. I tightened my breathing, trying to make out any subtle noises behind me. There were none. After maybe about five minutes, I worked up the courage to look. There was nothing. I sighed in relief and scoffed at myself at the same time. This must have been some kind of joke, however, I decided to entertain it, answering neutral and clicking onto the next question. This is what I read. Why would you look behind you? I smirked, funny, before simply typing in I don't know in a response box and once again clicking next. This was the third question. You're on a plane, apart from you there is only one other passenger, who's sitting somewhere behind you. At some point you get up to go to the washroom and find that the man is gone. You check to see if he is in the only other bathroom on the plane, but he isn't. What do you do? Again, I must have stupidly stared at it for nearly ten minutes. Was this some kind of obscure personality test? I mean, it must have been, right? I put the same answer that I used for the last question. I don't know. It was true, I didn't know. How was I supposed to answer this kind of question? I click next again. Now more intrigued than anything. The fourth question went like this. You wake up in woods unfamiliar to you. It's night time and the moonlight provides you with only slight visibility. About 30 feet away from you there is a small, dimly illuminated cabin. The door is open and a smiling woman is motioning you to come in. Do you go? Explain why. This question wasn't necessarily weirder than the last one. So my conjecture was that this was some kind of odd personality test, which was still a feasible option. I actually make an attempt to answer this one. Something along the lines of going into the cabin because there's simply nowhere else to go. Once again, I click next. Probably shouldn't have. The questions started getting, well, messed up. They weren't too gory or explicit, not anything like that. They were just stranger weirder, more psychologically disturbing. If you're wondering why the hell I kept going, I can't really give you an explicit answer to that. I just felt like I, well, had to. It was an historic creepy sensation that I can't quite explain away. But I could never shake it, so I just went on. 
Some of the questions that stood out were, suppose that you wake up one night to find an elevator in your house. During every midnight after that, it opens up for five minutes, revealing an exact copy of yourself that gets progressively more injured as time goes on. Do you keep living like this or do you enter the elevator once and end it all? And then there was another. You're in a hotel room, but are awoken by a rapid knocking at your window. You peek through the blinds, seeing what happens to be a man missing both his eyes. He puts his mouth to the glass and tells you to kill the woman in the bathroom immediately. Do you listen to him? This, though, was one of my least favourites. You're watching home videos with your mother. One of the tapes includes footage of her being murdered by a masked intruder. Your mother simply laughs at this footage about it without saying anything. In your opinion, is this a cause for concern? In addition to this instantly inducing question, there were some rather disconcerting events happening in real life as well. I received a knock at the door about 30 minutes in. I looked through my peephole to find a guy standing there, frantically shaking his head and mouthing no while making direct eye contact with me. He looked terrified, but obviously I didn't open up. I received about 10 phone calls from somebody named The Auditor on my caller ID. They left a message every time, but each one was just a recording that consisted of somebody saying numbers through heavy static. Well, actually, it sounded more like screaming now that I think about it, but an hour into this thing, and I was on the verge of a mental breakdown. I was petrified of looking behind me, even though there were no indications that anything should have been there. I heard some soft scratching coming from the vent at one point, so I moved my couch over to it. Eventually I reached what appeared to be the end of the survey. However, it wasn't a question, it was, well, simply a statement. Don't let them in, they're not to be trusted. Almost as if it were on cue, I heard more knocking at my door about five seconds after reading this. As slowly and as silently as I could, I moved over and looked through the peephole once again. It was a different person than the one I'd seen earlier. She was a woman, looking to be in her mid-twenties. She was wearing a thick blazer despite it being around 90 Fahrenheit outside. She was also wearing sunglasses, so I could never really tell where she was actually looking. She eventually took a piece of paper out of her pocket and slipped it under the door. I looked down and read it. It's lying. Leave your apartment immediately. It's been about half an hour since, and I can't bring myself to look at the computer screen, nor at the woman outside. She is still there. I can see the shadows of her feet from underneath my door. I heard my bedroom window open a few minutes ago, but I've since jammed the door shut with a chair. I can hear some kind of distorted muttering coming from behind it now. Maybe rock bottom wasn't so bad, but what the hell am I going to do now? Good evening my creepy beings. Tonight I have a collection of four scary stories. Let me know if you would like something like this once a month or so. I'll leave timestamps for each story in the pinned comment below in case you have heard of any of these before. And if you enjoy and are new to the channel,